Welcome to Product Stories, where we explore how founders build successful software products. This is a podcast about product management, development, remote work, and anything else non-technical as well as technical founders need to know to launch and scale software products. Today's guest is Yupili Chasowa, co-founder of Work Club. He will share with us the product strategy he used to develop his platform from an early validation, prototype, the MVP, and then the scalable product and how he developed each stage. Hint, he's used an entirely different approach every time to launch as fast as possible. Yupili, welcome to the show. Thank you, Victor. Hi, how are you? Uh, super good, super good. I've been looking forward to this one. Um, for, but first, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself, your background, and uh, also what Work Club does. Awesome, sure. Uh, so background, where do I kick off? Where do I start? Um, I guess... I can say that, so I have, so I'm a CTO by background. I have over nine years of experience, um, hands-on experience, actually, uh, spanning from software, design, uh, R&D, product strategies for big data and online marketplace applications. Um, previously to that, I founded three startups in the PropTech scene, um, graduated back in 2012, uh, with a computer science degree. And as soon as I actually graduated, I built my first big business in a uh, real estate market. And also prior joining Work Club, uh, I was a senior engineer for an insurance company. And um, I've also been involved in building a, um, an online bidding platform which, which managed assets worth over 10 million. And uh, in terms of Work Club itself, really, for me, I've been involved in the business for the last, well, I say coming to three years now. And essentially what we do is we offer co-working spaces for freelancers, consultants, and um, employees uh, to work from. And for now in, in London and the UK, is that right? Exactly. So based in London at the moment. And uh, yeah, it's a, London, it's a London startup, essentially. So what's, what's the main problem that you're solving? That's a good question. So in terms of the problem, really, um, I guess for us is from a high level, you know, a common sight that we all tend to see uh, as you walk past a coffee shop, uh, you know, it's a crowded and chaotic environment. And, you know, for us, we feel that these coffee shops, you know, really, they are filled with, with you know, distracted professionals plugging away on their laptops, you know, and... And for us, really, is to, is to try to build a productive environment. So that's really the first problem that we're really trying to solve, really. You know, offer employees, professional um, workers, an environment for them to work and really get things done. And when you look, look at nearby, there's a great restaurants, uh, great pubs, great hotels, uh, and co-working spaces that are practically empty throughout the day. Um, and for us, we believe they're better suited for, you know, these kind of professional workers. So that's really something that we've seen in the market and uh, we're looking to tackle. Beautiful. And so you've, you've found this niche or at least this problem that you wanted to solve. And uh, now how did you go about validating that or building the first thing people could literally use uh, because most people would now be like, hey, let's build an entire platform because that's what we want to do, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's a good, good, good question. I mean, really, 
essentially for us, or I would say the success of Workload initially was to onboard as many venues as possible. So there's many space operators, as many as many of them, and also be seen as a low risk, easy to use revenue generating platform. So that was really the initial thing that we had to prove. Um, so for us, we really had to come up with something that was simplistic enough that could really uh, cover all those fronts. And then from the user's point of view, the professional workers, the remote workers, the employees, et cetera, they had to see you know, a range of spaces available they could easily access to. So again, we wanted to be seen as a low risk and easy to use platform really. So that was the core, core thing that we had to first of all establish before kicking off anything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so how did you do that? What was your first step in, in, in that? What did you build? Uh, so the first step for us was to, we created a simple uh, mock-up of, the, of, of, of what we wanted to introduce to the market. So a simple website per se. Uh, actually, not even that. I guess a landing page. Do you class a landing page as a website? If you do, then, then yeah. So we built a simple uh, landing page which had which showcased uh, 10 of our best venues, actually, 10 of our best venues that we believed were suitable for remote professionals. We, so I remember, you know, literally built something in, in, in Angular, actually, to be more precise, an Angular landing page, no backend, nothing, and um, just displayed in, in a number of images. There was no booking, booking process in place. There was no booking forms in place. It was just simple as here the spaces, and then really it was just to measure the click rates. Are people actually clicking on these spaces? So that was the first step that we took. We then promoted it to our close networks, so friends, family, as well as remote professionals that we knew. Uh, although I have to say prior the London page launch, we spent probably a week or so engaging in groups just to gather momentum, just to you know create the hype around, hey, there's something new coming out. So that was really the first first approach that we took, really. Wow. And so I, I just want to point out here that usually, and I know that from myself, uh, as technical founders, we usually just try to uh, jump right into code and, and build something scalable. Whereas you just said, no, actually, let's, let's do the landing page and, and um, put things on there manually. Like, uh, that's not something we want to do as developers um, and get traction. So um, congratulations on that because it seems it, it worked really well. Um, when did that become, uh, well, not scalable enough? When did that concept start to break? So just, just to retaliate in terms of why we approached it the simplistic way than building a scalable product was prior to that my previous business has spent probably I would say nine months building a product and realizing, oh my God, we spent so much money building the best product and nobody was using it. Although the concept was great, but nobody used it because we didn't engage with the market. So that was something, that was a key learning point for me and bringing that onto Work Club was, was crucial. And we had to do that. Now, when we started getting, so I guess to your point around when do we realize, okay, this landing page is no longer scalable. We need to build something that actually works. Was I remember we launched 
within a week, we we sort of set our goal that every month we should expect expect about fifty to sixty bookings coming through. We literally had sixty bookings or sixty requests to to make bookings come in within the first week, and then the second week that doubled, and that's when we realized, okay, this there's something here. So. <laughs> So we, you know, we had to scale back and sort of, you know, make it clear, hey, guys, we were just testing the concept and to actually build the entire initial, I guess, version 1.2, would you call it? 1.1 ping, the landing page. We had to, you know, put things on hold three months, build our entire system, which consisted of, what's the entire system, the initial version, which was literally taking the landing page into a booking system that I guess when you clicked on the uh, spaces, you have a simple form that popped up. You enter the time that you want to turn up and how long you want to use a space for. And that was it. That was the booking system. So really it was devising that. But the, the reason why it took us three months to come up with something like that was because there was a lot more, I guess, moving pieces. So we had to engage with the venue operators and say, hey, we have just been promoting your spaces. <laughs> without your acknowledgement online and we've had X amount of attractions. So for us really we're just just a matter of really establishing contracts and agreements and you know looking at if if we do have, let's say, Victor turning up, what does it mean for you as a work club and what does it mean for you as a space operator? So really I guess the work was around really turning this into a business that could scale. So that was that's how we approached it. But uh, as an upside, you now had actual numbers and data to bring to the table. You could approach these venues with uh, an amount of requests. You knew which ones worked better, I assume, and also what people were expecting. Uh, so that's really good. Absolutely. And um, so now you have this form, really. You uh, did some admin stuff. Uh uh, contracts in place uh, probably managed to get some kickbacks from these pl- uh, from from these uh, these venues and uh, the first people are booking um, did you learn a lot during that process was that valuable did you engage a lot did things break here uh, for now and then so there was a lot that we learned so again from experience it I guess with this approach, it was more or less really measuring. First of all, for me, as a as a, as a guy building the system, I had to understand what's working and why are people clicking on these spaces and so forth. That was really my core, core goal uh, or my core responsibility. So for me, it was making sure I, me- I, me- I was measuring the stats, the data, and really seeing what worked really well. And that really helped shape the next version of the product and what we had to do. And that was crucial. If we didn't do that, we probably would not had would would not have had enough information or data to take out to the operators and then start to engage with them and say, hey, this is how it's working. Now, throughout mm-hmm. the process, I guess really a key learning curve was that actually that piece of data that we sort of well the that that I relied upon to build the system became so crucial because it aided my co-founder to figure out, you know, a great I guess a pitch per se for the venues and say, hey guys, this is what we can generate for you. This is what we're doing. And also start to negotiate the pricing. And that was probably the, the, the challenging part, really figuring out what, does, what is this worth? Because for the operators, for them, this was a new way of acquiring customers. This was this is different. It wasn't the same as, hey, we're going to send somebody to purchase food and drinks. 
we're actually sending somebody professional to sit in your space for free initially, and then eventually, if you serve them really well, they will be paying, they will spend X amount. So really coming up with those assumptions, you know, how long they'll stay, how much you're looking to spend. We're not really too sure, but they'll definitely spend and so forth. Building a profile for our users coming through was probably, you know, was, was quite challenging. So we learned a lot <laughs> through that process, really. And uh, up until now, uh, who was building that site and this this for? Was that you? Uh, yes. Yeah, so for the, I would say for the first, for the first nine months, really, it was me building the entire system. Uh, so from landing pages, the initial booking process, etc. And I was very hands on with that approach. And um, after when we started getting more bookings coming through and more venues signing up, et cetera, we realized, hey, we need to, you know, I needed help. Um, so I brought on a junior developer who then helped really, I guess, built the version 2.0, which was a much more robust system. You know, we initially the, the platform, the, the booking platform was built on Firebase, Google Cloud as an example. We then migrated that into a to AWS the first time really, you know, having a robust system. So it was really establishing a good infrastructure, which was key. As, as we say, poor infrastructure, you can have the best product, but if you have a poor infrastructure, well, it's just not going to work. So that was quite crucial. Um, so yeah, I brought in a junior developer for probably about say supported me for like six months before we really took it to the next level. So so yeah. And you just mentioned it; it took another level. Um, at what point did that just not be? At what point did that become not sufficient enough? What you had right now, that approach. When we started charging, really. When we started, I'll probably say when we had issues from customers coming through. Hey, I turned up to the venue, I paid for it, and they had no idea who you were. Hey, I made a booking, and I have not received any confirmation if this space is open or not. Hey, I've turned up to the venue, and the staff were just rude. So that's when we realized, okay, there is now something here that we now need to figure out. So this is where you begin to build a process. and. The process where you look, you know, I guess understanding what is a customer journey. Um, so if Victor is going to use this product, what does this customer journey looks like? Look like um, from finding the space to making a booking to pay, um, and then understanding what he really wants, right? But then we then realized that actually it's not just the customer that's making the booking. You also have the venue operator that have certain expectations and we have to educate them how this product now works. So really that's where things changed um, for us, realizing that, hey, we are setting people, but then the engagement between the operator and our members and users, it's not, it's still not there yet. And there's, there's an educational piece that we have to do with our product and face-to-face. So really, that's when we realize, okay, we really have to establish a proper process and then refine our contracts and agreements to have a clear understanding across the board. And that was and it probably scaled, And it probably scaled to uh, the point where uh, intervening manually just wasn't feasible enough sending emails back and forth. You just couldn't do it anymore at that point. No, it had to be self-explanatory. It, it had to be self. I mean, uh, we still, we, we, with that, 
the problem is when you when you're dealing with hospitality businesses, um, there will always have to be intervention, you know, manual interventions. You have to get involved. You have to really be. You have to be that. You have to support as much as you can. The system is not enough. You know, there's a lot more. Uh, there's a huge high turnover. For example, the staff that you met last week might not necessarily be there the following week. That's just how it works. So for us, it, it, you know, it's been a challenge that we've always had to look at. But what's really worked really well for us has been building a great brand and also actually building a better process with our system and ensuring that you know our customers coming through the system fully understand and acknowledges that hey, look, this is how the process will work after when you make a booking, and if you have any issues, this is how we handle and resolve them so having that clear transparency it's probably something that we've had to build out outside our technology itself um but yeah i mean it's not an easy process it's it's just the fact that you know when you're dealing with hospitality businesses and you know um those types of space space operators there's always going to be a manual intervention so you have to do it there's always going to be a human touch which is important i guess of course, of course. And so when you set out to build the next iteration of the product, um, I understand that was about scale, about getting these processes just right, taking those learnings and turning them into a stable product. Uh, did I sum that up correctly? I guess so, yeah. So how did that come about? Um, so when did we actually make, you know, make the decision to build something that was a lot more, I guess, center stage of the market right so when we started off really we were we were young um we were new in the market and then we started realizing there was some competition so i guess to stand out there was a few things we had to do um the first thing was really rebrand ourselves and really stand out as a competitors because because everybody outside our competitors or potential threats coming in they were like wow you are the guys for the market but we felt that we weren't yet we felt that there was a few things we had to do. And part of that was obviously looking at our pricing to start off with, you know, how should the pricing really work for, you know, the remote worker, a typical freelancer looking to use this model. Um, and then also, how do we want to position ourselves in the market? You know, do we want to be seen as a young, um, quirky product or do we want to be seen as a serious product, you know? It was just all endless. So really, we had to establish ourselves and build a product around that. Um, so for us, really, we went through that phase. And also, in turn, we fundraised uh, some substantial cash that really helped us to really build out a proper system that really put us on the center stage. Not saying the systems that were built prior weren't that, but I guess it was just more about building something now that would actually, I guess, uh, stamp of approval, you know, add that little stamp of approval to prove that actually, hmm, there's something here. So, so for us, yeah, I mean, really, that was the next stage. Um, and also, we had a few conversations with, uh, you know, bigger boys that were interested in getting involved and, you know, saying, hey, we love what you're doing. We've been trying to do this for years, I guess. And for us, that was like, wow, okay, if we have these big operators interested in working with us, then it's either we you know, we continue doing what we're doing or actually make it better so we can become more attractive. So we did. So we took that approach. 
And so that was you and a junior developer up until this point. Up at uh, this point. Did you, did, you, did you continue this way? Um, so we had to make a few changes. So I guess to really to rebrand ourselves, to be seen as, okay, these are the, the guys to be. These are the, the, the market leaders of this new market that's building, etc. Um, there were a lot of things that we had to do. So first thing is really is looking at, you know, what what should our system, you know, operate on? Um, you know, what's the up and coming tre- trendy tech we should be uh, integrating? The, you know, building the system on because you know there's a lot of things to consider. The more operators you have working with you, the more data you have to produce. Uh, the more the the bigger you get, the more users you get. You know, and so forth. So really, we had to look at it from that angle. We need to build something that's stable that's gonna be able to handle you know, millions of customers and, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of um, space operators. So really that was a change. Um, so up until this point, we realized, okay, well, I realized by looking at putting scoping out an initial, I guess, uh, roadmap of what we wanted to achieve by when. And then that's when I sort of got in, that's when I decided to get some, well, a lot more, grow my team, essentially, with a lot more, uh, experienced uh, engineers to help us take it to the next level as well as product uh, engineers as well. Amazing. And uh, how did you go about uh, finding that team or who did you choose to work with? So at the time, I had a, um, I had a friend that, that I knew for some time. So he used to run an agency, a tech, a tech agency back in... Um, uh, uh, you're smiling. I'm coming to you. Don't worry. You're not there yet, but I'll come to you. <laughs> no. So he he had he actually had a tech agency in Poland, by the way. Okay. So I was engaging with him, but then I also had another friend, Victor. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but Victor, there you go. Um, and you know, I knew that he was working on a really cool startup that you know connects. Um, if you're looking for engineers or tech houses, etc., across Eastern Europe. You reach out, and he, you know, he will share a few recommendations. So I had those sort of two options. But the the first option was more, hey, I have a friend that physically runs an agency, could help me really well. Um, so I got in touch, and then I got in touch with Victor as well. And Victor, yourself, I guess you recommended a few um, contacts that you had. Um, but I was just blown away by the contacts that came through Victor, um, which were just incredible um and yeah which which i guess really in turn got me to work with the contacts that were recommended by victor that over my my friend that i knew for some time but uh it it just turned out to be that hey look it was all about building a product that that was you know great at um being i guess the brand was important for us was super important for us and i was able to establish that through the connections that victor made really so we, we, we had a product team and a development team that just came on board all at once, really. And what did you learn? I mean, obviously, I'm super glad to hear that, that, that it worked out so well uh, with working with, with our connections. But uh, how did you, because I know that that's not just uh, our uh our our fault so to say i know that that it's also been you who's been working very hard 
on preparing everything, on managing everything. Um, how did you, what did you learn uh, from, you know, working locally with your one developer, doing things yourself, as opposed to now managing developers in Ukraine? Um, what was the big difference? What did you learn? A very good question. I mean, um, when you're building things, I would say with, so when you when you have a vision of what you need to build, and then you have to build that vision, versus when you have a vision, but then you you know you get support and help from people that can do. I guess they can come up with some. They they can cultivate your vision. There's a difference, right? Because when you're mm-hmm. building and you're setting the vision, you know I guess you don't really see the bigger picture. You always see things in short term. You always see things. Okay, we need to build this now because we have to fix this. But you don't think about the bigger picture, and that was really the working style that I established when I was working with my junior developer. It was more okay. This is what what we need to build now because we have to achieve this. But then never really thought about what could and what should this product be, right? Uh, how big could it be? How could it become, etc. So that was something that I never had a clear sight of, right? I never thought about it. Uh, to that extent, anyway. And when I came across, you know, the you know the team that were introduced to us from a product side, it was actually my first experience really spending some time with. It was like I had so many great ideas that I never thought I had at that point for the product that we we're working on, and it, it just became apparent how much passion passionate I was for the product and spending some time to really look at what could become of this thing and that that was it really and that's where it all began realizing oh wow okay we are building something that's actually huge here so establishing that and spending you know i think i remember we spent over a week just going back and forth with ideas crazy ideas good ideas bad ideas you name it it was all there and we ended up coming up with a you know with a huge roadmap of okay this is how we'll build it this is well, you know, th- this is how the model will work, and this is how you expand it. That was brilliant. Something that I never, ever thought I would ever, you know, have. So that was one thing. And then also actually having that support line from, okay, how do we actually build a stable product, uh, stable infrastructure that we can actually grow this whole, you know, this whole vision that we've just mapped out. And that was another thing. So having support from that side and looking at it from the bigger picture, that's where really having the experience, the support vision that I had for the product changed and came in. Uh, but prior to that, it was just more or less, let's just build what we have now and not really thinking about the bigger picture, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So uh, you, you laid out a more concrete roadmap or iterated to get to a more concrete roadmap, not day by day. Uh, steps hey let's build this today let's improve that tomorrow but more like actually having an idea for a longer term communicating that once you once you got there and uh, and then only then go about implementing it is that correct correct yes and i guess that had really a, a number a number of advantages right um we had to expand the team uh you know fairly quickly to support the growth of the product and just realizing just being super clear of what's actually being built 
you know, having that roadmap was essential was key because I was able to understand, okay, I need X developers for X amount of time and X amount of budget, which you have to plan when you're growing a business, especially, at this, at, you know, at a, if you're scaling a business per se. Um, again, if you're short-sighted, if you're not seeing the bigger picture, you, you know, you get, you fall into, you fall into the trap of just bringing on anybody, anyone without really understanding what needs to be done. And that's the worst position to be in because, you know, money is key slash king. Um, and, uh, when you're scaling, you need to be super, super clear of what you're building because anything can go wrong, especially in, in technology, you build one thing, but then it turns out to be the other thing. So you have to be super clear. So that was fundamental. You know that product, and that's path. where you were building on your entire previous experience of of the landing page, of the mistakes and the processes, of learnings, of everything. You're like, okay, rebuild. This is what we need to do properly now. Uh, make it scalable. You guys do it. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh... Yeah, gave me gave me the back seat now. I guess. I, I mean, I don't want to use that, you know, just in case people might be thinking, "Oh, then." So now you have this. Now you no. I, I I guess for me again, it was more or less really just coming to my realization and just realizing, "Hey, look, you've done the first part. You've built the initial infrastructure that you dreamt of for this product, etc." But now it's really making it into that thing, you know, making it into the scalable thing that you know when you speak to to investors or operators or customers it's clear it's super clear right what what is work club and i guess really that was part of it you know what is work club as a product so that's that's where it all made sense and uh fast forward to today what's your what's your product team set up today so product team wow another great question so at this stage, it's a, it's a much more scaled back team, okay? So I guess, you know, it went phases. So initially, it was a very small team as a, starting out myself, junior developer. And then we had a massive team, which consisted of up to 15, I would say 15 developers. But that was more or less we're scaling, scaling, scaling. So we had to build fast. Um, but within, within that process, you know, I guess it's more when you build a product, I guess one thing that, a lot of um you know a lot of people don't tend to see don't tend to actually see or witness is you have to support a product especially if you've built it to a certain extent if it's working really well and users are loving it so for me really i guess it was more looking at how do i build a team that can really help me support build that pro and maintain that product not building any longer because we weren't building more features we we're more or less just maintaining the features or adding in a few changes here and there so we scaled back from having a massive team to just having the right team to now maintain that product as, 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 we, as we went along. Um, so now we have three uh, engineers uh, that are working on the product. And the product, by the way, is a mobile app, iOS and Android. And also we have a dashboard process for our clients and space operators as well as teams that are access to the, the, the app, et cetera. Um, and then we have a product uh, owner slash manager that's really in charge of making sure that, you know, the product, the features, the feedback, the customers, et cetera, are really 
you know, we're managing that really well. So we need a product owner for that. And then the QA support as well. So QA to make sure everything that's being tested and bugs being fixed, um, maintained. So really, I would say, yeah, there's about five of us really managing the, the entire tech side for the, for the time being. Awesome. Uh, where are these people located? Uh, back in London again? So we are, we are now, you know, we, we, we live, live and breathe the remote work life, uh, lifestyle. Uh, so I'm the only one based in London, i.e. from the tech side. Um, majority of the team, actually, if you look at it from the overall business and marketing, based in London. Uh, but we have a couple of roles, i.e. business development that's uh, remote-based. And from the engineering point of view, I decided to really build out an engineering team. And I guess this was ex- from the experience when we were scaling out the product, you know, the, 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 the centerpiece where we realized you can get things done better and quicker if you <laughs> have a remote team. Um, it's incredible. It's great. So, so yeah, so I stuck by that and, and I've always been, I guess, a huge fan of building remote teams. So, so right now, yeah, the team is diverse and remote, really. Awesome. What would you what would you recommend to other founders? Uh, what's the most important thing in getting that remote culture right? Oh well, um, <laughs> that you know, it's we can you know. I guess we, there's there's different ways uh, to do so. For me, I would say you know you need to. Be personal, I guess. You know, be be approachable and be very personal. Um, i.e., you know, make sure you 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 know you you you're able to speak to people at the level. Cause it's very different, right? When you when you when you're face to face with people, it's very different. I.e., the the personal touch is there, the engagement is there. You know, when you when you when you brainstorming work, etc., it's all there. But really. When you're all remote based, to build that personal touches, you need to figure out how to communicate. And I guess you look at how to become better, I guess, better online advocates. And that's tough to do. But I, you know, I would say, you know, really be very personal. Um, don't always be, right, we're working remotely. This is how it's going to work, how we're going to work. You know, be very personal, I would say. Uh, and also set boundaries. You know, especially if you're a manager or a leader, make sure you you know you set clear boundaries. I.e., for example, um, what's the availability time span? You know, if you have a team that's diverse, working in different, uh, I guess, um, hours and zones and times, etc. It's 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 super crucial that you set boundaries and clear clear communication um, standards. So when you should communicate how you communicate and how fast you do a response. So that's super clear. Make sure that's always lined out at the start. And also being being um being flexible on taking time to recharge. I think you have to think about your team that are remote as their team that you're working with together, you know, let's say not remote, you know. So you really have to look at setting you know, time to recharge, you know, when's the best time to take, make sure you encourage your team to take time, you know, don't overwork, especially in development, you know, there's always something that comes up and it feels like, oh, as I'm at home, I can easily just do it now. But no, it's not about that. It's about making sure there's time for you, for yourself. And be very transparent and, and clear with goals, you know, 
transparency is, is key um with with that i guess that comes with being patient be persistent uh, and also be ready to to i guess to fuck things up and i say that <laughs> i just did you know because sometimes like i remember i'll give you an example we had um one of our interns uh was tasked to to send a mass email to clients but um and and actually this was from the back of that intern suggesting, hey, there's an easier way to do a mass email without without sounding like we've done, without looking like we've sent a mass email sort of thing, a personal email. Uh, so suggesting a tool to use, we, we said, yes, let's use that. But then something went wrong, which then I picked up a board and said, hey, something has gone wrong. Uh, but then what happened was I responded during the weekend, um, but obviously nobody really answers or responds on the weekend. And I wasn't expecting a response. So the intern responded back uh, during, I think, on a Sunday. I was, I was busy on a Sunday. Monday came, and then the intern sent me a long email to really apologize. And I was like, well, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. you know." But for, for, that, for them, they thought they made a massive mistake. It was their suggestion, their idea. And I was like, you know what? Look, we make mistakes. You know, sometimes things happen. That's just how it is. So, you know, so setting that and just being very transparent and clear is super important, especially when you're remote. So I think, yeah, that was very long. This is, yeah. this is great advice. Uh, thank you so much. And thank you for uh, the entire insight on this process of, of, well, validating, launching, scaling work club. Um, where can people find out more about you or follow you and or work club? Sure. Awesome. So um, thank you very much for having me. Uh, you can find me on um, Twitter. Um, uh, I'm going to share my details after this. Do I, should I give sure my thing? Thing? Yeah. So Twitter, uh, email me. Pretty good at email. You can email me directly or LinkedIn. Um, and also, yeah, you can check out our website uh, at workclubhq.com. Oh, yeah. And you'll find more details there. But um, yeah, I think that's really the. Uh, that's how you can really get home. Perfect. Really. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Victor. This show is brought to you by TrustShoring, your friendly concierge to find reliable and tested software developers from Eastern Europe. We recruit full-time developers, match you to an experienced software house that's ideal for your requirements, or recommend a reliable freelancer for smaller projects. But most importantly, you benefit from our experience of developing software remotely for almost 10 years. We give you one-on-one -on -one guidance all the way so you're never lost. Stop the tedious hiring or vetting process and get matched to reliable talent. Sign up for a free consulting call with one of our experts today. Go to TrustShoring.com.